0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where it's week number five of the legislative session. Wednesday is actually the halfway point, day number 30 in the 60-day session. And this is when the political roller coaster kicks into high gear. This is also the day of the annual press corps skits. Today on Sunrise, we'll check out the newfound acceptance of drones in the state legislature. When they first became a thing, lawmakers imposed limits on the unmanned aircraft because of fears about surveillance from above by the police state. But now they're considering exemptions for everything from law enforcement to python hunting. It's budget time in the Capitol. The House and Senate will approve two different versions of the new spending plan this week and then spend the final month of the session playing a behind-the-scenes version of Let's Make a Deal. The state agriculture commissioner is hoping she's not traded away in the process. Police in Jackson have arrested a man accused of running a van through a volunteer tent at a GOP voter registration event. The good news is no one was hurt. And if you're fed up with the standard cable news stations, there's something different in the lineup. BNC, the Black News Channel, is launching today from their studios in Tallahassee, where they'll be covering community issues that are usually ignored by the mainstream media. Today on Sunrise, a conversation with Republican political consultant Anthony Petticini on life, the universe, and Florida politics. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the latest installment of Florida Man, featuring voodoo death and first grade meth. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, February 10th. If you're wondering why so many lobbyists at the state capitol are looking frantic, remember, it's budget time. The House and Senate will pass their spending plans on Wednesday, setting the stage for final negotiations between the two chambers. The Senate spending plan adds up to almost $93 billion. The House budget is $1.5 billion less. Both sides have money for teacher pay raises, but they have a different way of getting there. There are also some serious policy differences. For example, the House wants to get rid of the state's tourism marketing agency, but the Senate wants to keep Visit Florida in business. The House is also trying to stick it to Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed by moving the state energy office away from her agency and into one controlled by the governor. They're also threatening to freeze part of her budget until she gets rid of all those inspection stickers at gasoline pumps that have her picture on them. So why is Freed being targeted? She has a theory.
1: Republicans are threatened, had near complete power for almost two decades. Now a Democratic woman gets elected statewide and the old boys club cannot stand for it. It's petty and absolutely pathetic.
0: Lawmakers will have about a month to hammer out the differences between their budgets. And if the past is prologue, the whole thing will be up in the air until the final week of the session. Despite their initial concerns over police state and unauthorized snooping by government, Florida lawmakers seem to be embracing the use of unmanned drones. Senator Ben Albritton is sponsoring a bill that would allow employees of the Wildlife Commission and the Forest Service to use drones for battling wildfires and eradicating invasive species on public lands.
1: So there's this plant called Ligodium, Old World Climbing Fern, which is wreaking havoc all over Everglades National Park and many other places in the state. And so I've I've flown over it and it Uh, in a helicopter and I recognized that it was pretty easy to discern where it is. It shows up really lime green or not lime green but almost neon green. And the ability for the department to be able to utilize this to uh, measure effectiveness of eradication and and the like would would be good. So it would the drone could make the discernment of between those colors on what the you know where this where this old war climbing fern was so they could they could measure, identify places it pops up, potentially that, uh, that it's not uh, active in today. Help them chase this thing and try to do something. Where the second example would be with pythons in the Everglades. Uh, I've been told. I'm not sure that it's it's there, but I've been told that there is at least an emerging technology that would have the ability, some kind of lidar, radar, something, that would allow them to identify these snakes. And as you know. Chasing those uh, nasty critters down there in the Everglades is uh, a difficult task. So those are two places that I could tell you on, on public lands that it would help these folks do their job. And quite frankly, uh, thinking about the Florida Forest Service, uh, they have, uh, they've told us, it makes all the sense in the world to me, that uh, during a fire they could use these drones to look for escape routes for employees if needed. Uh, if they get trapped in, they could look for you know various various things, measure, tender on the ground, a lot of a lot of different tech uh, opportunities for that technology to yield a safer environment for those for those folks and then provide for uh, better mitigation.
0: All Britain's bill has passed two Senate committees without a single vote against it. Once it clears the Rules Committee, it's ready for the floor. But Senator Joe Gruters wants to go further. He has a bill that would allow law enforcement agencies to use drones to keep an eye on crowds of 50 people or more, to collect evidence at the scene of a crime or a traffic crash, and to assist with traffic management so long as they don't use the images or video from the drone to issue a traffic ticket. Goethe's bill would also allow state agencies and political subdivisions to use drones for damage assessment after a flood, wildfire, or natural disaster, or for vegetation and wildlife management purposes on publicly owned land or water. It's on the agenda this afternoon in the Senate Infrastructure and Security Committee. Police have busted a Florida man accused of driving a van through a tent full of volunteers at a Republican voter registration drive over the weekend in Jacksonville. No one was hurt, but 27-year-old Gregory Tim was arrested on two counts of aggravated assault. Jacob Ogles with Florida Politics reports the Duval County Republicans said the attack was specifically targeting Trump campaign volunteers. They also say the driver made an obscene gesture before speeding away. Republican Party of Florida Chairman Joe Gruters calls it a cowardly and unprovoked attack, and he vowed volunteers would not limit their political activity out of fear. The nation's only African-American news network is launching today, and it's based out of the School of Journalism at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee. The Black News Channel, or BNC, was founded by former Oklahoma Congressman J.C. Watts Jr. and Tallahassee TV entrepreneur Bob Brilliante, who helped create the All Sports Sunshine Network and a 24-hour cable news network called Florida's News Channel. Jacksonville Jaguars owner Shad Khan, who's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $8 billion, is the network's majority owner. Brilliante says the new network plans to target Target unique challenges facing urban communities and the image gap that exists today with negative black stereotypes in the media. BNC chairman Watts is a Republican, but he says the channel will be about African-American culture and will not cater to political ideologies. Next up, a conversation with GOP political consultant Anthony Petacini about the Florida legislature, term limits, Donald Trump, and the state of politics in America. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics.
2: We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. He said, she said listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash
0: Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview is Anthony Petticini, and all I've been told is you're a consultant. Uh, What do you consult on,
2: Anthony? Uh, I run a company called Strategic Image Management, and we do campaigns all around the state, uh, some out of the state, but we're, we're campaign consultants
0: what kind of campaign? I mean, constitutional amendments, individual people,
2: what, all of them. It's all on your on your menu there. All on the menu.
0: What's your favorite campaign so far? Uh,
2: local stuff. I like doing city council races. Hmm.
0: What's the difference between a city council race and a
2: state representative? All race? politics are local, so uh, things tend to be a little more high stakes in a local race. Uh, people care about their garbage getting picked up, their their light being fixed on the street, uh, and it all it becomes very, 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 very serious to them. And there are actual things that matter to people,
0: you know, one on one. Stuff that happens in the state government, you can say, well, that affects you obliquely or may affect you indirectly. But the local guys really control whether your lights work or not. Yeah. Getting your garbage picked
2: up on Tuesday is important.
0: So Tallahassee must be sort of a letdown for you then.
2: No, not at all. Actually, I grew up here in the process. Um, I joke around with folks that that I take up here that I could tell you where the walls were the last 20 years because I've been here that long now. (laughs) They keep moving. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a weird (laughs) maze looking for the Taurus in the middle. But um, no, I, I think Tallahassee is uh, is the place to be. I think a lot of things uh, are happening here. The state is changing. It's in an enormous flux. Um, we're seeing that every day in our politics and in our, in our geography. Um, I think this is the place to be. Are we a red state, a blue state, a purple state, or a weird sort of hybrid? You're just like Florida, man, I think we're a weird sort of hybrid. Um, I think that there are times that we're red states, there, or red state, there are times that we're a blue state. You know, and we talk about Florida as nine states sometimes. Depending on where you are in Florida, it could be a red state or a blue state or, or a hybrid of, of in between. Um, but I definitely think we're still a right of center state. Okay. What's your take on the session so far? We're almost at the midway point. Yeah, I think it's very sleepy session. I think that—
0: uh, You too. I, it's, it's just been
2: boring. Yeah, in 20 years of, of being up here, I think this is the most unexciting session I've ever seen. There's no real food fights. Um, the Speaker gets along with the president better than any other time that I can remember. Um, and they both seem to get along with the governor, which they, is highly
0: unusual. Even when
2: they disagree. Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. Um, I think everything like last time will unfold the last couple weeks. Um, and I expect uh, Senator Galvano and Speaker Oliva to get some big wins for their, for their items. What do you think of the biggest stories that are coming out of the session when it's all said and done? You know, it's a good question. I think the E-Verify thing will still uh, be around. I think that, uh, I think that um, the campaign's really, really heating up uh, early this year. I think that'll be the biggest story. Um, you know, I, honestly, if the governor gets a win on E-Verify, I think that's the biggest story.
0: That would be a tough one at this point, though, wouldn't it? I think it would. Yeah. I mean, the the agriculture doesn't like it.
2: Big business doesn't like it. Tourism doesn't like it. And basically, those are the three stools the state financial financial system is based upon. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you never know. There's always magic in the hat.
0: Magic in the hat. Okay.
2: What's your take on the governor, the job he's doing? It's been a year now. The governor's amazing. Um, You know, I think he surprised a lot of people on the left. Uh, I think he surprised a lot of people on the right. I think he's doing a great job.
0: Did he surprise
2: you in some ways that
0: might have been disappointing from someone who's a, you know, has a Republican perspective? Did he go too far in something trying to, you know, cross lines?
2: No, I think he's just very smart. I think he's, uh, I think he's astute politically, like the teacher raise uh, agenda item, a huge win if Republicans can pull that off. The water quality stuff that he's done, huge wins. Things that Democrats traditionally will, will say that are their issues, he has stolen from them and made them Republican issues. Now does that give him more leeway on the traditional Republican issues now? Because he's got some chits with the Democrats. It's an it's an interesting question. Um you know, when, when Senator Galvano uh took the heat on that gun legislation a couple of weeks ago, right. um even though he's been a conservative stalwart most of his career, uh the, the right went crazy on that one. So I don't think the right is very forgiving. Yeah. That that was that was a bit weird to have someone call Bill Galvano a tool of the left. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. Uh, yeah. So looking ahead to uh the federal
2: system impeachment's over. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Does this change the landscape? I think impeachment does. I mean, um, I think it's I think it's a game changer. I, I don't know if it's a miscalculation on the Democrats' part or or a, a good calculation on on uh, McConnell's part, but I definitely think it changes the conversation. I mean, at this point, you're either pro-Trump or anti-Trump. I don't think there's any in between anymore. Going into November of 2020, it's so really no one's mind's going to change between now and then, right? Well, I mean, not in the not in the political talking head circle. But I think, uh, you know, if you're a a normal person doing your daily business and, you know, politics isn't your career and you have three kids to get to soccer practice and ballet practice and you got to put food on the table at night, I I think everything matters. And I think uh, we like to say there's still time on the clock, right? I mean, there's a lot of time on this political clock before November.
0: So how do you convince
2: an independent voter who is going to be the key to the election that You know, maybe 16,000 lies over the past three years isn't all that bad. Well, I don't think we have to convince them that 16,000 lies is that bad. The the interesting thing about Florida is most of the legislators, whether it be uh, a Senator Harrell, a Representative McClure, uh, a Speaker Oliva, any of them, they're they're very connected to their communities. Uh, The good ones are, right? So they kind of – and you'll notice this in election results – um, Ed Hooper in his election outperformed the president, I believe, a little bit. I could be wrong. I have to go back and look. But there are there are a lot of legislators who outperform the top of the ticket, um, and that's because they have connections to their communities. Like we talked about, all politics is local. The state legislators, uh, whether in the Senate or the House, that make things about their community tend to do better than ones that don't. What's your take on term limits, though? I, you know, I'm not a fan of term limits. Uh, I'm not a fan of term limits. I was here right when term limits started. That's when I. That's when I showed up to the building, so I knew some of the old guys. Um, I think term limits, uh, although they do inject new blood, we lose a lot of the history and the tradition and the, and the reasons for why things are the way they are. Um, my favorite thing to do is to talk to folks who are new to the process or um, or young people in the process and tell them the stories uh, that Richard Gentry told me, or tell them the stories that, uh, that I heard at the table sitting with Jim Krogh. Um, and in fact, there's a little group of us that all you know came up together that we still talk about those things. You know, most folks don't know about you know the pork chop gang. Uh, they don't know why the Senate operates the way it does. Um, they don't know why we elect House speakers the way we do now. These are things that I think are important to the process. And if we lose the history Uh, If we lose the reasons as to why we're all here and why we operate the way we do, I think the process is the victim. I've noticed, too, that we've
0: also had a decline in in basic political skills. I mean, back in the day, we had classic debates between Dick Langley and Jack Gordon. I mean, you had your classic liberal and your classic conservative. They framed things, and they didn't read bullet points. Mm -hmm. They didn't read some note the staff had thrown together. They knew the issues. They knew the arguments, and I we're missing that today.
2: Well, we can't all be Jamie Grant. I mean, Jamie Grant is, is a very Jamie's good debater. Good. Matt Gates was good when he was on the floor. Uh, Ken Littlefield from Pasco, the voice of God, when he got oh, up, yeah. everyone listened. Well, Mario, he's got
0: the best pipes in the world. Greatest yeah.
2: pipes. Mario Diaz-Balart when he would come out of the back room and, and, and take the microphone, the whole chamber would stop. Uh, and these are people I remember from from my time watching the House. Uh, you still have some good debates in the Senate. Yeah, I think we moved to a lot of bullet points. I think that that. A lot of this has become staff-driven with term limits. Uh, so the staff is the one who has the institutional knowledge, uh, and so the members rely on the staff a lot more than they used to, whereas, whereas um, I don't know, a Doc Myers back in the day, who had been in the Senate for 30 years, who, uh, who, could, who could summon why a statute was created because he was on the floor when it was yeah. and tell people the story. That doesn't exist anymore. And, in fact, I had a conversation with some folks the other day where um, – you know, people like Gail Harrell and, and Bill Galvano, who have actually served in both chambers, the max sentence they have in, in both in both chambers, <laughs> that, the max term max limit. Sentence, yeah, I'm the max sentence. That. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they, they're, they're, that's a dying breed of, of politician we have now. So back in 2000, we were all lamenting that, oh, there, go, there goes all this institutional knowledge with triple decade members leaving. Well, now we have double chamber members. The first wave of them are leaving. What's that going to do to the process? I don't – we haven't seen that change yet. So I think we're about to see another change in, in how the, the the process operates.
0: You mentioned institutional memory. I, a couple of people have said, well, you know, you reporters are the
2: institutional memory now. And all I can think is you don't know my memory very well. <laughs> well, you guys have great stories. I mean when, you're, when your job is to spectate uh, something like the legislature, you guys you guys remember seeing how it went down. And, and a lot of the time, you know, you hear the background story too off, off the record – So there is a little institutional knowledge there, but as far as, you know, who shot John when and and why something got in the budget in 1974, you know, there's nobody around anymore to tell you that except the lobbyists except some of the lobbyists who are also there's a bunch of them that are are reaching the mature age of retirement that that they want to get go on to greener pastures and do something fun with their families i think you're going to see a real transition in the process and and for good or for bad uh, we're all going to strap in and and try to make it the best transition possible
0: no we all love change yeah change is great
2: change is great so anthony
0: i always ask this of, of interview subjects what is your secret talent your superpower, or your hidden ability oh, that people should know about? Now, you've already mentioned you're a beekeeper. I'll accept
2: that as an answer, but is there something more uh, You know, people I, should know about this? No, secret talent, I think, uh, I love karaoke. Um, I'm a secret karaoke guy. <laughs> it's not really a secret. I mean, most people have seen me do it now. Um, my superpower is, uh, I guess, I'm really everywhere all the time. I tend to be able to, to get from one end of the state to the other in, in a relatively short period of time um what's the last qu- what's the last one um just something you want people to know about oh. that most people don't know i guess most people know i love my family um well we sort of assume that for yeah most people, got, yeah yeah i mean uh although this I, I is know. Not, I, you know you never know um that's a great question something i don't want anyone to know i have to think about that okay
0: one. well we'll have you back when you figure that you out you got it man our guest today has been anthony pedesini political consultant par extraordinaire thanks rick your calendar of events today well at 11 o'clock congressman charlie Crist visits the community health center of pinellas county to talk about the flu season and preparation for any potential local outbreak of the coronavirus Former Democratic gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum and representatives of civil rights groups will hold a media conference call at 11 to discuss opposition to Donald Trump's nomination of Alabama federal judge Andrew Brasher to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the one that hears cases from Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. Florida International University will hold an event to discuss anti-Muslim discrimination and hate crimes. That begins at 1 in Miami. U.S. Attorney Lawrence Keefe will hold a media availability at 1 o'clock in Pensacola to talk about cooperation between local, state, and federal authorities on immigration-related enforcement and prosecutions. At 1.30, the Senate Education Committee takes up a proposed constitutional amendment that would impose eight-year term limits for school board members. The Senate Innovation, Industry, and Technology Committee will take up a bill by Senator Jeff Brandes allowing Uber and Lyft drivers to display digital advertising on their vehicles just what we need, mobile billboards to distract drivers. It's kind of like the Florida man of bills. The House Pre-K-12 Appropriations Subcommittee will vote on Representative Kim Daniels' bill that requires public schools to hold a moment of silence each day. Some would prefer a moment of prayer, but there's this nagging concern about the Constitution. The House Transportation and Tourism Appropriations Subcommittee is meeting at 1.30. They'll take up a bill to try to improve safety at pedestrian crosswalks. At four, the House Select Committee on the Integrity of Research Institutions is hearing presentations on the risk of foreign interference in research. The House Speaker created that committee after the resignation of officials at Moffitt Cancer Center because of issues involving work with China. Moffitt is returning more than a million dollars in state money. The Tampa Bay Times reports that money was used to pay the salary and staff of Howard McLeod, a senior member in Moffitt's Department of Cancer Epidemiology. He was forced to resign in December, along with five others from Moffitt, after an internal investigation found they did not disclose financial ties to Chinese recruitment programs. The Senate Community Affairs Committee meets at four. They'll consider a bill that creates a regulatory framework for electric bicycles. The Senate Infrastructure and Security Committee meets at four. They'll take up a bill that would make changes in laws dealing with transportation. This sounds like the start of the annual transportation train, where they take all the DOT bills and graft them into a single bill, Frankenstein style. Also at four, the Senate Environment and Natural Resources Committee will consider a bill that requires the Department of Health to conduct water testing for contamination if it receives requests from residents or businesses in certain areas. The Florida Capitol Press Corps holds its annual press skits at 7.30 tonight at the moon. Proceeds benefit the Barbara Fry Scholarship Fund. Today is also the deadline for state political candidates and committees to file their reports showing financial activities through the end of January. And it's time once again to check in with Florida Man, who has a problem with voodoo, and Florida Woman, who's accused of trying to get meth delivered to the school where she taught young kids. Police in Miramar say a Florida Man killed another Florida Man because he thought the guy had placed a voodoo curse on him. 19-year-old Najee Marcellus Jackson is charged with premeditated murder. Police say he even sent a text to the victim warning him he would die that day. Jackson's being held without bond. And a Florida woman who taught first graders at Jacksonville Heights Elementary School is accused of trying to buy an eight ball of methamphetamine while she was in school. It was never delivered because the person Valerie Lee Prince called to set up the buy was an undercover narc with the Clay County Sheriff's Office. Investigators say Prince admitted to using meth about 10 times over the past six months. Her teaching credentials have been revoked, and she's been fired. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.